a caretaker, Streeter. Whether you like it or not. <laughs> Here's to God and football. In 10 years from now, Street, good friends living large in Texas. Texas forever, Street. Texas forever. Yo, everybody, listen up. Let's do it. Technical terms we're throwing out there. Um, hey, episode 75 of Tell Me Where to Turn. We're here. It's better to test the levels when you're actually recording live. I mean, I'm not big on the uh, quote-unquote dry run, if you will. No, not at all. Not any pre-prep is not for me. I've got a run sheet here. During prep. So you're telling me about a luge accident before we got started. Yeah, I think... Uh, a member of the U.S. women's team took a, a bit of a spill in the luge today. So is it like horse racing, though? If the sled finishes without you attached to it, it doesn't count? Well, they had to come out and they put up the tent around the sled and they <laughs> shot the sled. <laughs> I think she's, she's going to be okay. She appeared to be injured, but I'm not sure if she was hurt. Yeah, I was... Uh, that's one of those things that the amount of money it would take for me to jump on one of those things. I think there would be trace commas involved. <laughs> my, my two events, it, it's, it's the luge. What, like if you had to choose between the luge and the ski jump, like, and you have to do one of them or everything you care about in this world goes away. So are we talking come in cold, no prep. And they just say either strap on the luge I mean, and go or ski jump and go. Let's say you get, you know, maybe a couple weeks or so of professional training beforehand. So as part of the gimmick, you have to you have to actually, because what I was going to say is, I think you have just, to try. Well, I was going to say like if if you just had to start one of those two things, I think I would do the ski jump because I think I could just go down immediately and probably just kind of cruise to a safe stop <laughs> at the end of that launch ramp where I think if you did that on the luge, you're still going all the way to the bottom. I think on the ski jump, if you, if you went down early enough, man, I think either way you were going to end up paying whatever the you, price. whatever you end up is probably going to end in plegic <laughs> either way. Cause you can't, that's, a tough, boy, that's really tough. You, you know, I think the, um, the the easiest spot to hide in all of the Olympics in any sport would be in a bobsled in one of the middle seats on a four man run. Yeah. All you all you really have to do there is just run fast enough and jump over the side, and then you just put your head down and you don't have to do anything. That's true. So so I'm saying you if, don't have to steer. And, right. If okay. you're in one of the middle seats, so if you're gonna if you're gonna have to hide yourself in one of the events, that's that's clearly your best shot. But as far as the the hypothetical that you proposed, man. That's tough. I, I think ski jump. Man, I, I don't know. It's because there's no way I, I'm not going to be able to ski down the because I'm terrible at skiing. But yeah, I but guess you know, they have those big wide skis and that big track. I think that might just happen almost automatically. And then okay. all you really have to worry about okay. is not dying. So 
so let's say you were able to master because if you if you watch the ski jump, they have the big skis and there's little kind of tracks on the ramp that they go down. It's not like a sheet of ice that they're actually skiing down. Yeah, it's a glorified track. Yeah. So, but I think. You you would train with a professional. They're going to do it in an environment where you're in not in three weeks. Yeah, but I think they could they could get you just to get on the skis and just go straight down. So then you have the launch point, and then you got to land the thing. Right, but you're not trying to set a world's record. So maybe the strategy there is just get off of the jump clean enough that you can land pretty quickly. You're not going to have to go for the. You know, you'd have to get whatever. Can you imagine? The amount of speed that you would have on those skis coming <laughs> off that ramp. Not like me. I'd be dragging a pole or something behind me. <laughs> he's going with the... He's got a 45-pound weight <laughs> tied to his waist. I'd be looking like I was going dredging for gold. I'd have the weight belt on. I, right. I, I just think the luge, because there's really not a braking system, so it's not like you can just kind of, kind of, you know inch your way down that course. Like once once you're gone and that you're gone. And I, I do think you're right. I think your your odds of permanent injury. That's a fascinating question. I, I'd be interested to see if anybody uh, anybody that follows the show on Twitter has any any feedback on that. But I'm gonna I'm gonna go ski jump. You go ski jump. Man, out of the two Yeah, out of the two I think I'm that's that's where I'm at as well. So anyway, I don't know how we got to there, how did we get there? Well, because we're. What does that have to do with Waco? Because <laughs> of Pyeongchang, pal. What do you think? <laughs> Is that the Rangers' closer? Maybe if he gets the job. Um. All right. So episode seventy-five. Um. There's two of us, as you can as you can tell probably already. There is not a third voice. Yeah. It, does he Does he know where he is? Is the city on the wall wherever he's at? <laughs> Apparently, he's in Scottsdale. Ooh, Arizona. Yeah, and apparently, much to my chagrin, he he just kind of met a turned down a big Scottsdale golf outing today. He didn't play golf. Now a company paid golf outing, and he just says, "Nah, I'm good." He's not trying to make a forty man roster as a pitcher and or catcher this year, is he? Well, you know, the free agent agency market is frozen, and. But pitchers and catchers are reporting. Yeah. He could just be, be reporting somewhere. I but I mean, if you know, you got a guy like Point Break Dave, that's, have you ever seen him throw a ball? Come on. He'd definitely be a catcher. But he's not here tonight. No, he's not. So you have Glenn and Tommy. You can find me on Twitter at Glenn3 underscore 11. You can find me at Tommy2 underscore zero. And the show show's Twitter is at where to turn pod, And you can email, email us at where to turn pod at gmail.com. Don't look at me like that. You're the, you're yeah, the, I just got real confused all of a sudden. You're wearing the captain email shirt here. Yeah, I, got, I, like it. I just had one of those moments where I forgot my own name. It's okay. I forgot what episode this was. I wrote episode 48 on the run sheet. I have no idea where I came up with 48. You got Daytona on your mind. Well, I do. I'm I not going to, I do. I'm not going to see it this weekend. Oh, really? I had to travel down Houston way. I was going to see if you wanted to come over for Daytona Day. This is this is very disappointing news because I I kind of had it all planned out already. Um, we were going to do the random draw and everything. Not thrilled about it. The other thing you can do with Daytona, you can start the party at ten a.m. and have like a solid three hours of just pre-race whatever you want to do, and then get to the main event. Right. 
Maybe it some, is the Super Bowl of racing. Yeah, my whole my whole weekend's going to revolve around that race. No, I have to travel, so I think we'll be uh, driving back up forty five. Is, is this for like a funeral or something? Is this not good travel, or is this vacation travel? No, nah, it's birthday party for, for within within the family for distant relative for yeah for relative down there for niece down there. Interesting. Let me just put it this way. If uh, they didn't come out of the same birth canal that I came out of, I'm not traveling for the birthday party. Yeah, well, I've not had to the last two years, but it doesn't look like there's any easy way out this time, this time around. Looks like it's happening. I can think of one way out. It's not easy, but (laughs) it involves diarrhea. (laughs) It involves... It involves the luge. <laughs> Honey, I'm taking the luge hypothetical. <laughs> I won't be able to make it. I'm going to Wang Chung, Korea. Not to keep this too far Olympics, but I've always wondered about the luge, too. It's not like those things are set up everywhere. It's not like they have one of those in, in Forney that you can go do. Well, I think one of the Americans, his, his dad built him a when he was very small, a young child built like a luge course track track i'll go uh in their backyard because he showed some interest in it now that's the point of how do you get to the point of hey your kid has interest let's build a track in the backyard i just couldn't even begin to no i have no idea know where you start but yeah if otherwise so say you don't have one in your backyard i don't know where you go and practice that they don't have one at Grapevine Mills. No, and they don't have, and I don't think they have intermediate ones either. You know where? Oh, you know, I think I might be interested in doing this, but I just want to do the real gradual descent one, that kind of like you know, like the equivalent of a paddle boat or something. Yeah, and if you want to get in the bobsled, I mean, it costs like fifty or sixty bucks to get into Six Flags <laughs> these days. I mean, that's not very economical. I thought you were going a different direction with that. I thought you were going to say like, oh, you could just get like a. An old Volkswagen and just practice pushing it down the side of a mountain. My only, yeah, I was going to say my only two is go to Six Flags or fly to Kingston. (laughs) I think they're here. Find Yule Brenner. I think they're here. Oh, we have a fall in the snowboard competition. Is that an American? I think the Americans did not do, I'm going to criticize our, our country here, but top to bottom, I don't think they've done a good job with their uniforms in any of the sports making sense that they're easily identifiable as American. When, when I was watching the luge, all of our lugeists, 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 um, they had like kind of gold, uh, you know, like gold, is it called a onesie or is it like a, a speedo? It's like a full body speedo. Full body speedo, but yeah, they. You know, I mean, if I make the Olympics, like I, I've got, I'm gonna have, you know, George or Abraham Abraham Lincoln, you know, sitting on on top of a lion firing a machine gun on my. Like people are gonna know what I mean. Business. It's not gonna be any of this just tasteful gold uh, with a little patch on the arm. I forget that. Um. So let's revisit some things from last week and episodes prior. Uh, yes, episode, little episode cleanup. We're going to get the moist towelette out. So first off, clean up from last time. We have, uh, we've talked the last couple of episodes about how our 
NFL playoff contest ended up into a three-way tie. And we had no tiebreaker, so... Well, we, we did. We came up with one last week. Well, yes, we did. We're going to have uh, Tom settle it for us. And would you like to know what Tom's decision was? I really... Well, before I, before I answer, did we decide that whatever his decision is... So, like, so say he picks the, the micro-peen. Well, he didn't. Oh, he didn't. But what I was going to say is I wouldn't have had to watch it if he picked that, right? We had agreed that the, just the other two would watch it. it was, so it would be like I won. It wasn't going to be a, all three of us have to watch it kind of a... But you've already seen it, though, right? I have not seen it, and I, and I really didn't want to see it. I wanted to make you guys watch oh. it. But no, but I, my question is, is, so if he picks the uh, documentary that you did, the uh, you know Guns N' Roses or whatever it was... <laughs> it's funny you mentioned that. Metallica. Are you going to watch it or, is it, or do just Dave and I have to watch it? I'll watch it, too. I'll re-familiarize myself, but I think what what we'll do, since that's the one that he picked... Oh, I thought that was the worst of the three. What's he doing? Ginsburg? I believe in Tom. Um, I think that had the least bit value benefit for the show. I will watch it, but I'll let you kind of... uh, You and Dave kind of steer the ship on everything on it. I'll just kind of sit back. Okay. And this is not going to necessarily happen until after we're done with Waco. No, we have three more weeks of so we Waco. Get through, we get through Waco. That gets us into early March. We get through the peaceful end to the standoff when Koresh walks out and shakes hands with the ATF and everybody yeah. goes home alive. They start a band. Yeah. They're and then, called the All-American Rejects. Yeah. Hey, I've seen them. I've been there. So, so you've, seen, you've seen the fake Jesus. So and then and then we'll at a time of our choosing we'll well I guess we'll have to organize it around Point Break Dave's suddenly busy dance card. I would say sometime in March we'll review the documentary. Okay. I am also actively trying to coordinate maybe another guest for us that may be with us sometime in March. Interesting. So we finally got Grego nailed down. Uh, we're working on it. So no promises yet, but potential March guest? Potential March guest. We also have two-year anniversary in March, and whatever we're going to do for that. Gosh. Well, we're not... Uh, I don't have the no, time nor fortitude to do another best of. No, there... Uh, there that was will, a one-time only thing. Yeah, there will be no best of. If you like to hear a best of year two, just listen to the best of year one twice. Just do that. So this guest, give me a hint on this guest. What what potentially would we talk about with this guest? Is there any is there any specific topics we'd cover? Um, it all be fast twitch. Interesting. So this is what we're talking about here is a guest that maybe doesn't have to work real hard at podcasting. He's just more. He was just kind of more naturally. He just took to it naturally. Well, he he walked into a building one time and somebody suggested you should do a podcast. He'd never thought of it before. And then, yeah, and then he walked into a studio and just started doing it. And he it ran a 4 4 At a very high level. Interesting. Immediately. Interesting. Well, the rest of us, we did like 150 practice episodes. Right, we study all week just looking at the playbook. I just watched YouTube videos of people doing podcasts, ate raw eggs and ran up hills and stuff, and no, he just, he just walks right in. All right. So we got some emails, too. Man, this is we're hitting all all the show staples here right off the right off the bat. First email. If it's from Joey, I'm walking out. From Tom Ginsburg. <laughs> okay. All right. He used to be a fan. Now I'm not so sure. I think he made the wrong pick, but So 
His email says, uh, to the number one faith-based podcast of the Dallas North Tollway. That's us. That is our official title. So he says, so I can officially die happy now that my Eagles won the Super Bowl. After celebrating with the family, I immediately went to Twitter to see what mayhem and shenanigans had consumed the streets of South Philly. As you know, Philly fans are known throughout the world as a passionate bunch. What is the craziest thing you've done while basking in glorious victory? Interesting. I I I feel like I've been there for yours, so... (laughs) (laughs) Maybe so. So I think this could be as a as a fan or something you've competed in? Yeah. I mean, the, the, the thing that comes to mind first for me was it, it really wasn't embarrassing. I didn't, I didn't climb a pole or shoot off a gun, but uh, I used to play competitive tennis when I was much younger and in celebration after winning match point in the finals of a tournament. So I won the tournament. Did you drop your racket and fire the guns <laughs> at him? No, I dro- I I dropped to my knees in in celebration <laughs> and 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 got up with two bleeding skin knees. Oh wow. Just so stupid. But I always remember just it was just such an involuntary thing. I was just so relieved, you know, to played this difficult match and I just hit the ground and it like really hurt myself and then like had to kind of like you know, you have to walk and shake hands at the net after it's over and just kind of walk up there with like blood trickling down both knees <laughs> like, "Yeah, I'm an idiot. Thanks." Appreciate it. Oh man, I, I think you were there for my most ridiculous. Yeah, I was scene ever post sporting event. I was having, having event. to basically hold you back from climbing a greased fence. Yeah, I think the other one, the the what might have been story that we visit, uh, we've talked about here and visited many times, being Game Six, and I was in St. Louis and I was fully prepared had the Rangers got the last strike to it would have been out all Shirt night off. Rangers fans burn that city to the ground <laughs> it would have been the most epic story of all time personal story you know whatever but um yeah that's uh it didn't happen i remember when i was racing cars um Having some having some miscalculations uh, that almost resulted in auto accidents after big wins. Because you're talking trash. No, more more like so in a in a drag race you you know you're you race to the finish line and then you have however much track is left to stop and at the end of the track is just usually like so you're like fist pumping after you win. Well, what what you normally do is. Um, You've never driven an, uh, a race car, right? As far as I know, you've sat in one, probably. I've definitely sat in one. But but you know, if you if you picture that the the way the car is set up and geared, you you run it all the way to the end, and when you let off the gas, the motor's running, and and as you're slowing down and using the brakes, the engine is also slowing you down because it's still in gear. I got you. So I won a won a race one time, and this is stupid, but I mean, this is like what. NASCAR drivers do when they win races. It makes it, it's terrible for the car. It's not an advisable idea, but you you throw it up into neutral and you just zing the engine, you know. So you so you go across the finish line, you win, and you you throw a neutral and boom, you know, right. just in celebration. Well, if you're racing on a track that has a very short amount of time to stop, 
and now you're in neutrals. You're not. You're now not getting the benefit of your engine slowing you down. I, I've been on four wheel lockdown, sliding <laughs> around the the end of the track, almost running it off the end because I was so excited I want to race. So I've done that before. Okay. So I wasn't wasn't too proud of a moment. Yeah, and you're not between the two of us. You're not dealing with two, uh, you know, real extrovert out there personalities so we're not really the type that wins something and then really need to show it off or let everybody no, know I mean, about I'll, it I'll, i mean i'll pelvic thrust in somebody's face at a poker game if need yeah. be, but but yeah other than that no i i think for for the majority of my victories i do it with class and, and dignity and i'm trying to think but let me tell you something if i ever break 80 on the golf course the pants are coming off let's <laughs> leave that could be this year it could be this. It could be this week. Oh wow! Um, yeah, because I mean, the Cowboys won three Super Bowls. By the way, Tom, the Cowboys—they've won a lot more Super Bowls than the Eagles. Oh, I ran down the street. It's nice to get one. I ran down the street screaming in 1999 Whoa! when the Stars won the Cup. I just thought of this. I, I ran down my whole street screaming with my buddies after uh, yeah after Hull put the uh, overtime goal in in Buffalo. You know, I was. Watching that game, it ended at like two in the morning. Yeah, it was middle of the night. I mean, we I'm we're lucky that the police weren't calling us because we just went, we just all went straight out the front door of my house. It was me, um, another guy that's maybe been on this podcast before, okay. uh, a couple other of our buddies, and we, we yeah, we we just went straight out into the yard running. Gustav was there. Yeah, it's, what, it's weird. weird, right? Um, shooting guns in the air. Say, so the Cowboys championships. No, it's nothing crazy, but I mean, I was high school, was a teenager. I mean. It seems like the time you would do something stupid, but no. Um, Mavericks championship. We were me. There was a group of about eight of us that were at the AAC where they do the thing where they're playing on the road, but then they they let us free into the arena and right. just watch it on the big screen. I didn't realize you did that. I did. It was pretty awesome. That's cool. And there were some. But the thing is, they won that championship. The game that they won it in wasn't really that close. I mean, with five minutes left in the game, it you know they were up like 10, 12 points, so it's not like it went down to the wire. It was just more the culmination of everything, and then celebration was awesome, but there wasn't that moment where you, you know, whatever, just did something crazy. But you mentioned running down the street, so I guess this would have been the spring of 2001, Mavericks against the Jazz. And the Mavericks have not been to the playoffs in more than a decade, and haven't won a playoff series 13 years or so. So I'm at this, this beaten down apartment that I lived in after I got out of college in Bedford. Oh, man. Yeah, thoughts and prayers. Wow, Bedford. That's tough. And it was me and a couple of my buddies lived there, and we probably had three, four other guys over there watching the game. It was game five, first round, first round playoff series against Utah at Utah. So this is a deciding game, first round. Because back then it was just best of five in the first round. Now it's best of seven. I know you don't keep up with it. so I don't even know what sport we're talking about. I didn't, Utah as a team? Yeah. So anyway. They're probably called like the Jazz or something stupid. Yeah, right? it didn't make sense at yeah, all. Yeah, it really fits the Mormon culture well. Yeah. Um, so the, anyway, the, the Mavericks are on the road. They haven't won a playoff series in forever. They come back from like 12 points down in the fourth quarter. Hit a shot with five seconds left win the game, win the series. We do the same thing. And it wasn't like – it's not like we discussed it. 
Yeah, that's what we were gonna do. Yeah, Yeah, like the that's what White Star Hours was. The Jazz completely organic. Last shot at the at the buzzer. It goes off the back of the rim. The realization the Mavs just won this game in this series, and one of us, it wasn't me, it was one of the other guys for whatever reason, just turned and ran for the front door, and we all just followed him, and we just ran out into the apartment complex in the parking lot, just screaming and yelling. And same deal. It was like uh, you've seen National Lampoon's Vacation, right? Yeah. So when Chevy Chase jumps in the pool with Christy Brinkley and it's cold and he's yelling and all the people start the lights, that's exactly what it was like. (laughs) There was like six different people that came out of their apartment like, what is going on? As there's seven grown men just running around a parking lot and I'm sure we were probably like jumping on each other and hugging each other and who knows what else was was being said. But that was probably the dumbest thing, the dumbest scene I've ever made. No, that's awesome, though. All right, so next email, we'll get back uh, a little more on topic to Waco. And I should have read this last week, but forgot. So this is from Gustav. Oh, is this the Ruby Ridge? Yeah. Oh, perfect. So he mentions about Ruby Ridge, that the, um, which was all kind of referenced and covered to some degree in episode one of Waco. <laughs> Says very, the, uh, very tentatively by us. Yeah. says the undercover uh, federal agents pestered Weaver, Randy Weaver, which is the guy who was holed up in the cabin there. They pestered him to saw off some shotgun barrels. He didn't want to, but they kept nagging him until he did. So it wasn't exactly entrapment, but definitely encouragement to commit a crime in order to flip him, which in my view is wrong, if not illegal. So remember, they were trying to flip him for him to sell out higher people in the organization there. But on Weaver's part, it's just dumb since cutting a shotgun barrel down is not a high-skill gunsmithing task. He should have sensed that it was a setup from the beginning. So that was his comment regarding Ruby Ridge. But I think the feds knew they weren't exactly dealing with the smartest guy. I'm sure he was targeted for that reason. So there's the Ruby Ridge note. All right, and now for the main event for the email. So, oh, so I was gonna say, so we have one more email. Oh yeah, and this one's the main event. Why is this like? Is there pictures or something? No, but Mike Hernandez sent this one. Okay, straight from Colonial Country Club. I'm sure he's eating that that chicken sandwich that's so big they had to get two plates to hold the chicken because it was so far. It's the par three chicken sandwich. So far past the bun that <laughs> it's it so, couldn't even contain it in one plate. They serve it on a green. <laughs> the title of this email. Mike versus the Branch Davidians. And he has a bit of a story for us. Okay. All right. It says, I've got a short, most likely not that interesting, but nonetheless relevant story about the Branch Davidians. So spring of 2004, he was a young freshman at Baylor. A couple of friends and I had built up some liquid courage, (laughs) a la Glenn from the Loose Change episode. You have no idea. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> we decided to have my friend's girlfriend, CD, drive three of us out to the Branch Davidian compound to go look around. We figured like lots of places around Central Texas, it was abandoned and free for curious little morons to go wander around and explore. So armed with some natty light and some flashlights, we made it out there and started to check things out. We got into a smaller structure that looks like it was a storage area of some kind, had destroyed beds and whatnot in there. 
It was a huge mess and kind of hard to tell what all kinds of crud was in there. So once we got through the nervousness of getting into our first location, we decided to go big and get into the main building. So the main building of what they're what's there now. Did they not demolish the burned part? Um they did. I I believe there's some kind of small monument at the site of where the old compound was. I really hope it's not an eternal flame. Although it would have been be a, kind of ironic. Yeah, pretty good idea. Maybe it's just like a signed copy of my Sharona. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um Oh my goodness. I hope the statute of limitations is expired on this the breaking and entering part of this story. Um decided to go into the main building. So after using a broken piece of wrought iron we found, we busted off a locked we busted off a lock to a door. And just as we were about to open the door, we heard two or three voices yelling at us. Figuring it was local police or some kind of security, we froze and waited for them to approach. But as they got close, his friend yelled out OF, they've got guns. Not waiting to see for myself, he says, I bolted along with the other two. While on a dead sprint for the car on the other side of the fence, we heard a loud boom, followed by the peppering of the shot from a shotgun. Whoa. Pretty sure the fact that we were bundled up for cold weather and the distance between us was the reason none of it actually caused any injury to us. So they shot at him. It appears so. Unless they just sh- they shot in the air, but maybe the uh... so did Mike know that it was inhabited when they went there? It appears not. I I don't I don't think so. The fact that it had a lock on it may have been a hint that you shouldn't go in there. But yeah, okay, but if they, I mean, not not advocating what they did, but if you thought it was a completely abandoned site, yeah. you know, I just I'm still not saying that makes it right, but yeah. Surely they didn't expect to run into anybody. So in short, if you wander out to the Branch Davidian compound around, say, 2 a.m., there's some crazy SOBs out there that will definitely shoot at you. And he has a P.S. <laughs> says, Tommy should know. He says, P.S., it was Tibbs. <laughs> he's the, Tommy should know that he's the only one in this podcast that hasn't turned his back on me. Well, thank you. There you go. Well, da- I mean, I couldn't believe it when we were sitting over at your house a few weeks ago, and Dave just lo- like out of nowhere just takes starts taking pot shots, like Branch Davidian shots at him. <laughs> yeah, if you thank will. goodness it was winter. I mean, as it were, grief. But yeah, and then he ends with another day when the time is appropriate. I'll tell you how. I'll tell you the wonderful story about how I know the girl whose family started the hashtag CAB movement. Oh no. Now, the, when the time is appropriate, is the next time you can get to a computer and send an email. I was going to say, what's he gonna, is he going is he gonna to wait till till uh, Bryles has the head job in Cleveland before? Uh... Yeah, anytime you want to send that story, I think we're interested because I we are fascinated with hashtag CAB yeah. and everyone behind that. I think that would probably be the entire episode title were that to happen. <laughs> so I welcome that. Not the worst idea. All right. So that's email. So now, so now we're about much, halfway through. Much like Mike Hernandez, let's get into Waco. Let's, let's get, get into, into the compound. Let's get. Oh, let me. Uh, let's let's get into Mount Carmel. Let's get smoothly into Mount Carmel. Let me get my notes here because okay. there's one thing I want to bring up, so we can just get it out of the way. So episode three was a was basically about Operation Showtime. 
Showtime. So roughly 9 a.m. February 28th, 1993, they quote-unquote go to Mount Carmel to serve serve a warrant. Search and arrest warrants for Koresh. I didn't see much attempt to uh, serve a warrant, but hold on. But before we get there, I just want to get it out of the way. They still got the weather all screwed up. <laughs> it is very widely known it was a like gray, dreary, miserable day, the day that they raided this place. And they've got it. It is as sun it seems to be as sunny as you as it could be out there. Surprised they weren't somebody wasn't laying on the roof of the compound getting a nice tan. <laughs> you will not let it go with the weather continuity of this thing. It's, it's, I, are they on you that? You cannot let this go. They're on that, that limited of a budget. Well, it's not like there was any videos that day that they could have verified what the weather was <laughs> like. <laughs> okay. I want to come back to that, too. So they show up. Here we go. Yeah. Well, I thought the, the first 10 minutes of this episode was really great. Like, well filmed, really intense. Like this whole fight scene, where where uh, I especially love the interior shots when people are hunkering down in those bunks, and there's you can see bullets, you know, penetrating the walls, yeah. and just the way that it was it was shot, like where you're almost disoriented a lot of the time, and you can't figure out what's going on. Like I, I would I would say like if there was gonna be the one episode that they submit clips from for all the award shows, like the that first one. ten minutes was what you mentioned. Was, it was like mo- like movie quality uh, scene for me. Like I thought you, it was great. You mentioned there being footage. I mean, I think that's what they pulled. Like the 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 source material for the interior shots was from actual film that was taken by the Branch Davidians when that happened. As yeah. to the bullets coming through and you know where they were coming through and who was in there, they had it down as far as it was Steve's wife that got shot in the hand. They got shot in the hand, and I think it blew one of her fingers off. Yeah, it was kind of a gnarly Yeah, wound. but I mean, that's that's exactly what happened to her. Um, I don't know. Who was the guy? So when, it, when the gunfire starts, the ATF shows up in the horse trailers and such, and they get out. Drive past, they they drive past John Leguizamo. Tell them that they know you're coming. Yeah, they just ignore that. There's that guy, no way that happened. No, I that I ha- that's so Hollywood. Yeah, I don't think so. I think that's like a kind of a side story. You know, the conflict between the guy who's leading Operation Showtime and John Leguizamo. I don't know how accurate that is, but so they pull up. They quote unquote search these warrants by immediately approaching the compound with uh, weapons, weapons drawn, weapons drawn, and uh, they did shoot the dogs. Now, whether that's what started all the gunfire, I don't, I don't know that that's the case. That's not really what I've. So, was it a situation where reality was that the the branch of idiots had sent the dogs out after them, or was it really as innocuous as that it came out of the thing where they just like stop barking, boom? No, I th- I think the ATF was just eliminating any possible threat that this thing starts going haywire. That these I don't know I can't remember what kind of dogs they were, but that that's something else so they're gonna have to worry about. This is 1993. Do you think in the 2018 safety pin generation playbook that just taking out a dog immediately is still in the in the manual um at some point i think it would be 
if you had it verified that this is a compound of dangerous people who say they have guns illegally. Right. And Mike Hernandez could verify that. They've threatened, well, I mean, he, he almost got castle doctrine. <laughs> so let's say they had guns illegally. They are a threat to people around them. Maybe they've made threats. We absolutely know that some sort of child abuse, molestation, et cetera, is going on. Perhaps then you raid it, and if you kill some dogs, people are going to be like, well, you know, it's just kind of part of the deal. Yeah. But um, since about the only thing they had verified was they may have had some guns in there, everything else was just complete speculation. Right. It was a little little hearsay. So do we? who was the guy? Do you know? So Koresh goes out to talk to him. They shoot the dogs, which apparently... When he says, there are women and children in here. They shoot the dogs, which then, at least in the episode... Triggers return fire. Triggers return fire. The ATF then just starts unloading through the front door and everywhere else. And who was the guy that took about five bullets in the abdomen? Right, the older guy. Yeah. I don't know. One of the notes I had is just just from that whole exchange. There's no way they fired that many bullets, is there? I mean that that was that was almost a, a ludicrous amount of bullets at some point. I don't know. I, I just don't think that our that police, SWAT, FBI, they don't operate in that just spray down the whole side of a building. Like that's just not tactically. That's not a good strategy. I haven't done the YouTube search to see what all is out there as far as this part or the, you know, day 51 yeah, is concerned. I want to, I, I want to question a little bit of that. I just can't imagine that, that they would have unloaded that many rounds. I think that'll get into the, whether it's that aspect of it or when we do any of the conspiracy talk after episode right. six, or if we need a bonus episode just for that, depending yeah. on how much is out there. One of my favorite things of the first, the first, the start of the episode is so. I mean, and there's bullets flying everywhere. I mean, just complete pandemonium. So, what do the Branch Davidians do? They pick up the phone and call nine one one. Because, hey, but you know why what? Why wouldn't you do that? That I think you would, and they were on good terms with the local authorities. Yeah. So the spokesman for Quaker Oats is also the sheriff. Sheriff. Yeah. A sheriff approved by Jeff Sessions, <laughs> and he, as we've learned, he, um, I guess he had had a prior relationship with David, or knew knew what they were up to, or was kind of allowing them to do their thing without without getting up in their business too much. It was almost like that they had an understanding. I, th- I think the local sheriff and the police would. We may not understand who these people are, or what they believe in, or what exactly what they're doing out there, but. They're really not bothering anybody. Right. And isn't that real policing? You get to know your community. You uh, you understand where the threats are and where there's people that just need to be left alone. I mean, isn't that real police work? I think it's part of it. I think the other... McNulty part- talked about that in The Wire, but I know you don't watch that anymore. We'll, we'll pick up at some point. Um, but I, I think the other part is... I think it was mentioned after they show the raid and... Then they go to, 
I don't know what station this was supposed to be, but it was I a radio down, broadcast. It was KGBS Dallas. So I don't believe that no. is a real station. But what was it? What did that one? Did that really happen? I don't know. I wrote down a few things. And was that supposed to be the morning zoo? <laughs> I don't think that was still around in '93. Um, it was a year before the ticket. But I know that you know if that happened. Maybe there was a broadcast of some kind. But one thing they brought up that the immediate reaction was this was supposed to be more of a police operation, not a military operation. And if it's a true police-type operation, you're, you're supposed to de-escalate everything. That's your first goal and attempt. You don't walk in with guns drawn and at the first sight of anything just unleash like, like the, you know, like this is... ISIS hunkered down in some bunker somewhere. Not exactly, not exactly the same. So what you're saying is that the the radio host was making good sense to you. I think you made a good point. I think that was a valid reaction to what happened that day, at least initially. I mean, I could see where he was where he was there. See, I'll make little notes during the episode. I don't not anything in great detail, but just my thoughts were as I'm watching Operation Showtime. Uh, what a what a cluster this operation is. Um, the hell are they doing? <laughs> These are my thoughts. I wrote down the guy with the long beard is a beast. Like that Man. guy was a that guy was an animal in there. Man, he was yeah. he was just taking people down, f- firing shots, laying down cover fire, whatever he needed to do. So there was uh. So Koresh is shot, at least in the episode, when they first start firing away. He goes inside, shuts the front door, and then he gets shot in the... I guess it's in the stomach. But it wasn't a mortal wound, obviously, because he lived for seven and a half more weeks. Right, and that and that was another thing I wrote down. Like, I know he was hit, but that wound that they depicted in the show looked way it was a little, yeah. more extreme than somebody that's going to just... Ride it out for seven weeks without like, medical care. I feel like he got shot more like like in the oblique, and it went through him. Yeah, and probably didn't result in as much blood loss as was depicted in the show. But they had him portrayed as getting shot right at the beginning, right inside the front door. So there's the scene where there's like three or four ATF a- agents that go in the window... They go inside the building and they're around. I don't know if that was the women's quarters or wherever. And at some point, they cut to real footage there too, didn't they? Uh, it looked very close. Yeah. If it wasn't real, or yeah, you know, it wasn't the actual footage. But I know that one of those guys that went in there claims that he believes. Obviously, there's a lot going on in there. That he had gone in and ducked down a hallway, and that he was actually the guy that shot Koresh. He like turned around a corner. There was a guy there with a weapon that was firing back at him. They exchanged gunfire. The other guy was shot, and this ATF agent felt like that, from his recollection, that that's that's who he shot. Very convenient. Yeah, eh, nobody saw it, but it was me. It doesn't matter. It's totally me. You know, but 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 I think it was just to paint the picture that they weren't in there. You know, he's the leader. He's not in there. You know, curled up in a ball in fear. Or on the phone with nine one one pleading for help. He's grabbed a gun and right, he's, he's like throwing down. Yeah, but I can see why the one guy did call nine one one and they were trying to get somebody out there to shut this thing down. Right, and then they have this really odd scene where the I guess he I, I don't I don't know what news station he was supposed to work for, 
but this this guy that's that's there that had been tipped off by the ATF that like hey we're gonna bring out this cult leader you should be filming is now like right in the middle of the the gunfire which again I feel like is unrealistic because I don't think the he had to a- be pretty close. I don't think the ATF's gonna once it once it turns into a firefight they're gonna allow him to stand right there. And I then don't know. he he calls the uh, police because the ATF's starting to get worried that the, that they're gonna get outgunned by the cult. And the police says, "Hey, it's okay. Just tell everybody to stop firing." And so this newsman yeah. just starts screaming, "Everybody stop!" No. And everybody stops. <laughs> There's no, no way that happened. I think the actual story was that the ATF ran out of ammunition. Which is ironic, since they're the uh, Bureau of Firearms. They ran out of ammunition. How do they? How do they not have that plan? Well, they had plenty of tobacco. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they had tons of tobacco. They, yeah. they got their proportions wrong. <laughs> but uh, some, I, I think that's the story: is that that they ran out of bullets, and that they had to get out of there because, for the same reason. They they stopped and needed to retreat, so to speak, or get you know get the feds in there at that point, get some backup because they were going to be caught in that position otherwise because they didn't know how many guns and how much ammunition they had. to think about? And then they also had this guy in a helicopter that was just flying by the building and just laying down fire? That that actually is true. indiscriminately firing? Yeah. That's really happened. I well, I know they had the helicopter. I believe they were just firing. But on there's the one building. thing about having a helicopter. There's another one with just making passes in front of the building, just just unloading when you go by. That that was bizarre. Yeah, boy, that yeah, that one lady took one right in the skull. The lady that was in the top bunk. Yeah, yeah, that was a tough one. She didn't make it. You don't think so? <laughs> oh, she. No, let's she did. Not, she let's was not rushed to judgment. I think we can rule her out as the party that fired a shotgun at Mike. She's not guilty. Of that crime. She's in the clear. Um, a few other things I couldn't verify, because I tried to look that up today. Um, I'm not sure that Koresh really called his mom and left a message. Well, and and I just looked it up, too. He didn't... The radio station call happened, but not in any way like it was depicted there. They're just trying to shorten the timeline He talked a bit. to CNN, but they had already embedded a reporter at the scene that had established a side connection to him and set up an interview it wasn't a he grabs the like old school phone with blood coming on and you know starts Rotary making dial. phone calls to his yeah. mom and to different people and they didn't certainly didn't cut the line right in the middle of his interview um do you want a quick fun fact that'll take two seconds about david koresh's mom she wasn't alive at the time she was murdered by her sister in 2009 So she may have shot Mike. The timeline wow. adds up. That's so, a tough. That's a tough run of luck for her. Merry Christmas. Um, let's see. We'll get to more of the CNN and all that kind of stuff. Um, the death of Michael Schroeder. He was the guy that was was in the truck. And he was driving down the road, and they told him where they said the roads closed. Don't go by. Yeah. And then two minutes later, he's in front of the compound. Like at least See, come through the back, right? Like how does he get there? I think the actual story there was he was in like a garage that was on their overall property that they owned. I don't think he was in the truck trying to get back. I think yeah, he, he was just, just hanging out. He was just running back. Um, this you know. That's one of the controversies as to whether 
he really fired upon the agents. Or he was just trying to get back in. Or if he was just trying to get back in and they just shot him because he's just a guy running around out there. Now he I mean, did kind of like the same thing with the dogs. Yeah, he <laughs> you know he did have a uh, he was out there. He did have a bullet wound to the head, like pretty much point blank range. So they really finished him off like they did in that episode. Now whether he fired first or whatever, I mean, who knows? If you want to, you can you can Google the image of his dead body. I'm good. Okay. He didn't make it either. And is he the guy that they left out there for all the days? I, you know what? I haven't. Surely that's that. That's got to be it because there it seems like that's something that they would show or cover. But I think yeah, I think he was the guy that left out there. I do not know that his wife was looking out the window at the time. Yeah. And you know what? So okay. So there's all this gunfire. It's just you. You're you're running. You're trying to get in the compound. You know they'll let you in if if you get there. But you know there's all this gunfire going on. If you heard it, there's 30 agents out there. Just throw out a number. So you are running up, and all of a sudden, there are two or three of them that see you, yell something at you or whatever. Why would you pull a gun and start firing at them? Yeah, why why wouldn't you just put sense. your hands up, lay down, play dead, do anything other than pull a gun and take on three guys with autom- automatic weapons. No, it makes no sense. But that goes back to the bigger the bigger picture. And this was one of the questions I had written down to ask you since you've d- done more of the research. When this original gun battle's going on and the ATF's getting low on ammunition, did, did the Branch Davidians, when they engaged in that, were they thinking that they were defending Mount Carmel? Or did they actually think that they were going to win the gun battle? Like... <sighs> Was there a point where they thought, "Wow, we're we're actually getting the upper hand here"? And I could see, I could see where both are true. We're gonna take, you know, like they because that's just a crazy thing to even think about. But realistically, like they were kind of close to actually winning the battle. And then, I mean, what do you do if you win it? Do you immediately try to get out of there before more backup shows up, or do you just close the front door and start watching uh, Rocky Three or whatever they were doing? (laughs) I think, I think they would have stayed in there. Regardless, but I could see where both of those are true. They were defending their their home and their property, and I'm sure they felt like that they were fired upon first. And they were being attacked, and you know the whole thing that's portrayed in the in the episode is that Koresh is telling people that he's having contact with that within the compound that this whole thing is just fulfilling the prophecy that he's been talking about for. You know, months right. or years. And obviously, so we're gonna we were agreeing that he's a false prophet, right? You don't think he was actually legit? I do not. Okay, so did did he see this whole thing ending in a standoff because it was just logical? Hey, we're we're out by ourselves. We've got a bunch of guns. Like eventually, this is gonna happen. So he, he's almost hedging his prophecy, knowing that this is gonna happen. Or do you think he's just a nut? Well, he's got to be a little bit crazy. But I think he knew what was going to happen. Or was the burden of sex just too much for him? Yeah, I don't think that's what made him snap. But I think the uh, I think the uh, the Branch Davidians. It was both. They were defending their property, um, and I think just the adrenaline of the situation kicks in. You mentioned the guy with the beard. I'm sure once he's getting attacked, and then he fights back, and maybe 
takes one or two of those guys down. I want some of that. Whatever adrenaline he was on, yeah. I want that adrenaline. He had that the dude. full scoop. <laughs> yeah, that dude didn't do the half scoop to no. start to see how it felt. He drove like three guys out of there. And one of the, I think one, the guy that claimed that he felt like he shot who he shot was Koresh, when he was getting back out, he was the guy that was shot after he got back out of the window. And he, I think he basically just to get out of out of range and out of the way, just took a dive like off that roof and like broke one or two of his arms and broke some ribs and had bullet wounds and mm. he made it though. Hey, sometimes you, you gotta you gotta be willing to fight for survival, whatever it takes. So then, at this point, the media. <laughs> Has dictated the ceasefire, which I can't imagine that that's what happened. No, it seems like the most ridiculous part of this entire episode. Just the fact that that guy was standing there in the middle of all that gunfire and not just just digging a hole in the ground and getting out of the way like that makes no sense. Yeah. So now the negotiations begin, and the FBI is brought in, and our favorite hostage negotiator is on the scene. That's right. So he reaches out. Start some initial yeah. They get the dedicated, uh, conversations. dedicated phone line to Koresh. Do you do you recall when he uh, asked him how to pronounce his name and how David Koresh explained it? I re- I mean I remember him saying Koresh, but it, yeah. what was it? The sound of it was the last sound that if somebody's dying, like that last their last breath, like that. What that sounds like? Could you pick like? Any more of an obtuse thing to reference that nobody's ever heard? That's really what he told him, though. No, I, 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 uh, I figured that was probably yeah. probably legit. Yeah. So now we're in negotiations, right? And they, and they, he makes him a, a pretty good of sweetheart of a deal here. He says, "We'll get your, we'll get your story or your message or whatever you want on national TV." Yeah. And. You surrender in return for that, and Koresh says, I'm in. Sounds like a good deal. That's what, and it was going to be broadcast on CNN and the Christian Broadcast Network. And CBN. Yeah. And what I would like to know is how accurate it was, because it was the one real quick shot by the front door where there's just the, the royal luggage. <laughs> Was all by the front door, like all the bags were packed. They were ready to roll. It was like everybody. Is, I think that's accurate. It's coming out. I think that's accurate because I think when they finally got in there, that there was a lot of like packed bags and stuff. Really? Yeah, I think that's right. I, I mean, I'm I'm okay. freestyling based on my no, recollection. That's fine. But I, I I do feel like that at least it, the way it was depicted in the show that some of the Branch Davidians weren't necessarily on board with the plan. They they felt like that was kind of a give up um, to to surrender. Yeah, because it goes against what he had been preaching to them, right? That they were going to be attacked and persecuted and whatnot, and they needed to stand up. That was their that was God's will, or that was their destiny. Yeah, and I remember when this happened, trying when that when that broadcast was on, trying to like listen to it, and it was just so nonsensical what he was saying. Like you it, you couldn't even understand it. No. And you know, I'm I'm out like you know two minutes later. I'm like, I wonder if the Rangers are playing. <laughs> so, um, so after the after the raid, 
shootings died down. They've had some contact, I think, with the FBI. And now Koresh is going around and kind of gathering the troops. He wants to talk to everybody. They did, as a mid-episode, I'm thinking, well, what did they do with all the dead bodies? Did they just leave Top Bunk up there? And, you know, well, there's the one I mean, guy... She's kind of in a convenient place. She's off the floor, yeah. you know, out of the way. But the guy got shot in the stomach. They had him in a room. So, But he walks into the area where... The cafeteria, I guess. Well, do we if you need will. to talk about how he ultimately? We'll get. We'll, okay. we'll get to that. All right. I mean, I don't want to skip by that because I feel like what, either you or I is going to be in that scenario one day, <laughs> either on the giving or receiving end of that. So, so Koresh walks in. The question in my mind is what they did with all the bodies, but they actually work that into the dialogue because he walks in and everybody who's still around is. They're talking. They're having a little bit to eat. Yeah, hanging out. Maybe some chicken. Get a little ice cream out of the deep freeze. Get a little ice cream. Let's tell some jokes and whatever. And Koresh is not happy. Yeah. Hey, this you don't come to laugh when there's been people yeah. uh, killed in your compound. I mean, when everybody you, knows that. When you lose a game, you don't talk on the bus ride back, That's right. back home. No, you don't. Um, so he scolds them a bit for that. Puts them in their place. I think they got all they got all the doors like you know that was the other thing the ATF doesn't have I know that there were you know close range weapons danger but they don't have any kind of battering ram or system so that's your solution to this is that they just ram they eventually just ram the door that that's your solution well they, they didn't know. even bring enough bullets <laughs> <laughs> you now you want to have a battering ram come on oh I don't know. It was just off the top of my head. I just thought of that. Um, so then we get to the guy who had been shot, but he, I can't remember who he was. Well. He knows his time is, is short. Well, and it, they did kind of allude to the fact that Koresh wasn't going to negotiate for any kind of medical help. Like he was telling this guy, like, look, you're going to have to hang on because I'm not going to, I'm not going to make any kind of deal to get a paramedic in here. Yeah. So that's not happening. true. And he told him they talked and he, Koresh kind of told him, like, you're done here. It's, yeah. It's just going to be a matter of time. And he didn't want to, I'm sure he's in a lot of pain, but he didn't want to play out the string. So he called for the for the lefty from the bullpen. Called for the million-dollar baby. <laughs> and and uh, The most extreme version of the million-dollar baby. Here comes the pillow and the Glock. <laughs> yes. And we have our first mercy killing in yes. Branch Davidian history. It's always merciful when you go through the pillow. Whew. Man. It softens the blow a little bit. I guess they, well, a little bit. I guess it contains the... Just keeps it quiet. Post-gun chaos, too. And then you don't have to look at it. You're going to have to look at it at some point. You can just leave the pillow there and... Let somebody else deal with it. Yeah. Bet they didn't have Tibbs do it. Tibbs would have done it. You know, he didn't meet Tibbs in Waco. They met in like, I can't remember if it was a bookstore. He met Tibbs like He wasn't out, drumming? No, he met Tibbs out in like Los Angeles somewhere. Oh, boy. But again... That's they're just saving that's some time. artistic liberty there. They don't need we don't need half an episode on how Tibbs came into the picture. We could just he could just I, play I drums. I just assumed on. there was going to be a spinoff series called Tibbs. <laughs> <laughs> I've already already hey, getting getting some times cleared on my schedule for that one. He's still around, so he is. Koresh gets his message out on 
national TV. I would say it was accepted less than well by the broadcasters. Yeah, there's, there's some shots of the different news stations pretty much uh, taking a big old crap on his uh, his message. And that was the actual footage, if I remember correctly. Yeah, I think so. I mean, do you think there's ever a technique of, hey, we're going to broadcast this, and I know this sounds crazy. You don't have to say what a wonderful message or anything like that, but couldn't you just broadcast it and say, and those are the words of David Koresh? And right, and, and not immediately go to opinion pieces. Yes. At least until he comes out. Yeah, and then you can go on your nut job routine. Right. But There's instead, whoever it was, got a, they've got a Koresh is crazy monologue just all prepared, <laughs> just right off the bat. So um, after seeing that, you could tell that Koresh is, uh, he's been made a fool of. Yeah, and he's not happy about it. Now, when did he mention the lawnmower man to the FBI? And have you ever seen the lawnmower man? I've not seen the lawnmower man. I've not seen it either. But I think it was on the next phone call when he did. Because the whole draw there was that there was a man who had, I'm trying to think, that had great power, but everyone underestimated him. Right. was basically his lesson. Right. And then he goes for the ultimate force field, which is, hey, you know, I know I told you you would do this, but I had another vision, which I'm sure he uses on the call all the time. Visions and dreams. Anytime he needed to uh, take another wife or interrupt somebody's wedding night, it was, hey, had another vision. Taking on the burden. Yeah. And the vision was? We ain't coming out. We're not coming out. So we had all this hope. All kinds of hope and change. And in the end, God told him not to come out. And that's where we end scene and end episode. Yeah.